BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. You might be right. It's simple, but something you almost never hear in politics today, with each side more concerned about scoring political points than solving problems. I'm Bill Haslam, a Republican. And I'm Phil Bredesen, a Democrat. We're former Tennessee governors, and we invite you to listen to our podcast, You Might Be Right. Join us and guests like Al Gore, Paul Ryan, Judy Woodruff, as we take on important issues facing our country. Listen and subscribe to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee. Welcome to the Diversity Remix. I'm Charlie Echeverry. And I'm Jesus Chavez. Today's episode of Diversity Remix is brought to you by Altered.LA. Jesus, we know the folks at Altered LA pretty well. We know them very well. They've done some really cool stuff, um, all types of production, advertising, originals, have a number of projects with Netflix, it's great for them, done interactive content. So super, super creative, great, great work. Love yeah, they're a, a production company, essentially, uh, headquartered in Los Angeles, downtown LA to be exact, and uh, they're really content creators. I mean, what I like about their work is that, you know, production oftentimes can be seen as a kind of means to an end, more of a service or a craft rather than, you know, an artistic endeavor because, you know, oftentimes you have different stakeholders, you have got advertisers to cater to, directors, etc. But these guys really do treat the production process as what it is, which is content creation. Um, and to your point, feature film, short form, digital content, TV series. Um, Marcos Klein, who's the CEO of Altered.LA, is a very accomplished guy. And uh, in any case, they're, um, you know, very, very well sought after a production company in Los Angeles, done a lot of work, also very focused in, you know, diversity-based content, which is obviously how we're associated with them. So if you like, inf- if you like any information, you can find out um, more of uh, their contact info and other things on their website, altered.la, that is A-L-T-E-R-E-D dot L-A, and that is uh, Altered L-A, the production company for the diversity space. All right. So, Jesus, we got a big topic today, and uh, I think there's some key questions we need to ask ourselves on this one just to kind of kick things off, because the subject is one that's been certainly in the news a lot with, uh, you know, the DNC and the RNC and all that, and we'll talk about exactly when we're recording this to bring it, you know, into full context. But we're talking about cancel culture, or we're talking about canceling or whatever the, you know, various terminology is that's out there. But, you know, we, I, I, wanna, I want us to define what cancel culture is, how we end up, how do we end up here? You know, and also, are there differences in uh, cancel culture? What do people mean by it when they say it and kind of look at different cases? And then we're also going to look at brands and what their specific responsibility is and kind of their track record in this discussion. You know, who are the winners, who are the losers, that kind of thing. So a lot to cover, very controversial uh, subject, and I'm, uh, I'm eager to get started. I think it's a very timely subject, too, which is when we think about that. And, and just to, to let people know, as we're recording this, it is uh, Thursday, August 27th. And the reason it's important to mention that is that there's so much new information that's coming out real time, as mentioned. We just had the DNC last week. We're right in the middle of the RNC this week. And this has been a theme that has popped up in addition to 
everything that's happening that within the NBA. And we'll, we'll get into the NBA situation and what's happening there. And, and all this stuff is like in real time changing. It's all real time, yeah. right? So so if by the time you hear this, more has changed, our apologies. Uh, obviously, we're trying to do the best that we can to respond to the situation and address it as this uh, these stories are developing. But I, but I think a good starting point to this and maybe get into a little bit about the origins of where that term cancel culture came from and, and kind of to some extent how we ended up here, right? So just to give a little bit of background, when people refer to cancel culture, I mean, it kind of goes back now a few years, I would say, uh, initially focused primarily on celebrities, right? So some of the high profile cases that were in that category of cancel culture would be folks like Bill Cosby. Mm-hmm. A lot that happened there, right? Was accused by tens of women. Uh, I don't know, actually, I'm not sure what the number, total number was that. It was, I mean, some, a pretty tall list. I it mean, was 20 a something list, maybe. Right? Yeah. yeah. I don't know, like more than 20. I, I, honestly, I forget how many, how many it was. And obviously he was convicted for that. So um, he was sort of in that category. Of course, you have as part of the broader Me Too movement, you have Harvey Weinstein. Oh, sorry. The number's over 60. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was, okay. So a lot we're of people, off by right? an order of magnitude. Yeah, we missed Apologies to those ladies on, on a serious tip. Yes, that's it's crazy, right? So you also have Harvey Weinstein, of course, that was in the, part of the sort of in response to the Me Too movement. Um, folks like R. Kelly, another one that oh, yeah. was very much in that sort of cancel culture moment. Uh by the way, all three of these, for very good reason, they did some really, really crappy things, right? And, and illegal things and things that, you know, and, and I think in all these cases ended up with them being arrested, convicted, et cetera, right? But that was sort of part of the movement of response to people seeing a person, a celebrity that really in their actions did not align with the, the content that they were involved with, the brand that yeah. they had created, and, and really consumers re- reacting and doing what they can by not supporting, and as a matter of fact, encouraging people to not support their businesses, right? And so there, that's and how there, it started. And there was definitely a correlation. I mean, I think you touched on it a second ago, but like the, it, it was related to the Me Too movement, right? Or at least, yeah, you know, yeah, I know I it was happening kind of st- yeah, yeah. around the same time. We looked at some of the same research and leading up to this episode, but there's this huge spike in usage in 2018. I guess it was used at some point in 2017, but really like mm-hmm. 2018, it kind of took off. And the cases that you just identified are Kelly, Bill Cosby, et cetera, Harvey Weinstein, all related to kind of the Me Too, Time's Up movement. Yeah. And some of these, you know, kind of hashtags and things catch on in different ways, but I think it had its origin around there. And and yeah, you're right. It was definitely rooted in like these people not only did bad things, but they're doing things that reveal who they really are because yeah. they're talking the, I mean, a I good think game. Bill Cosby, probably the, I don't want to say he's the worst case because they're, they're all terrible, but in terms of a more of a contrast to who that uh, external persona is versus what was happening behind closed doors. Um, obviously, an extreme case there. And, uh, but yeah, so it started that way, right? But, but even as you, so you, as you think about this sort of cancel culture movement, um, started to really expand beyond that. And, and even started to impact folks that were not, you know, having the same kind of degree of, of issues that were being raised, right? Even some on the left. An example of that in, in, is someone like J.K. Rowling, right? Where now the reaction to cancel or movement to try it's to cancel. the author of all the Harry Potter books, right? Yeah, she yeah. wrote all the, uh, the Harry Potter books. Were, were, were less about a criminal act and more about a certain stance on issues that were controversial. For her specifically was comments that she had made previously around trans people, right? So you saw this evolution from people wanting to cancel a person, a, a, a brand, very much based on something horrific and even criminally wrong to then moving more towards people wanting to cancel, push back on opinions, right? On someone having a different point of view. Um, 
what we've seen since then is this that has now sort of evolved beyond simply people and now moving to brands, right? Especially when those brands are either taking a, a controversial stance or at least it's perceived that they're taking a controversial stance. This notion is how do we use our social power and especially social media as a mechanism to mobilize people to put pressure against those brands to change that position. You know, right? I know so that's that- what you've seen the... I, I, sorry to interrupt you, but I just I, I'm thinking about. I, I was wondering when the first moment was that social media was going to come up in this discussion because and I hate to be so down on, you know, on on those platforms and and the idea of social media. But man, it's like the, it's so at the center of a lot of the polarity, the polarization. I'm yeah. sorry that's going on right now. Um, you know, there's there was a number of conversations. Um, not I, I don't. I think the first one goes back even mo- maybe over a year or so. With uh, Jack Dorsey, the CEO of, of Twitter, on mm-hmm. a lot, a number of podcasts, big podcasts, small, po- smaller podcasts, but specifically, one of the conversations that he had with Joe Rogan that kicked off a subsequent series of of him and his like pu- uh, public policy or advocacy person who came on the show and discussed all this stuff. But it really is amazing to me that at the centerpiece of a lot of these discussions and these super like you know highly charged topics is the subject of how we engage with one another in many cases through the use of social media. It's like, yeah. and I don't want to be like one of those guys, like, you know, always well, dogging no, on the same right. thing. I mean, but we're not going to get into that probably too much today, but there's a whole nother topic of conversation in terms of what is the role that social media plays in this. Obviously it's a massive role because the thing that makes it very different now versus in previous generations is this ability that for anyone to be, to really be part of a conversation. And for the idea for, for, discussions and movement to sort of go viral pretty quickly, right? Mm-hmm. And this ability to sort of real-time be able to engage, which has tons of very positive benefit of that. And you see that even in the cases where uh, different in different countries, some of these movements have sort of popped up through social media. But then, of course, then you have sort of the negative side of that, right? Where, where these things sort of go downstream pretty, pretty quickly. And there is a very legitimate conversation to be had in terms of what is the role of these platforms to actually regulate that? Yeah, and to control that, and to and to address cases where you are using false information to push a movement that is sort of rooted in 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 a lie to some extent, right? Uh, and, and to what degree should those platforms really play a major, major role? And just to give that a little bit more context, is that historically most of those platforms are really operated in the fact that we are a platform, yeah. and we make it available, and we have some tools to help regulate things, but. We're not ourselves a voice within they that platform. They view themselves more as like uh, you know telephone lines than yeah, they do and, and publishing you, and websites that's right. and, and apps. You see and it things. probably the, the biggest contrast I would say in those in that sort of dynamic is probably Twitter and Facebook. Yeah. Or Facebook has at least historically has and that's changed right. So once again, I'm saying we're not going to get into it yet. We're talking about it. Uh, Facebook has. I, I don't see how you can't though. We're talking about we're, we're yeah. talking about cancel culture, and you and when you say cancel, you're like, well, wait a minute, canceled from what? Canceled by who? Well, canceled we, through yeah, what let's mechanism? Talk about that, right? Because I think you know? there's. So just to finish, I thought about Facebook, right? So Facebook traditionally has taken a stance where they are the platform, and they've tried to stay out of trying to necessarily pick sort of pick sides, and simply be in a place where voices can be shared, mm-hmm. right? And obviously having some tools to regulate it, like a town square. Where in the case of Twitter, they've been way more aggressive of trying to themselves regulate the conversation. Yeah. Uh, to the extent that they've actually have kicked off people from the platform. So there's a whole sort of conversation associated with that. But just to sort of wrap up the, the, the little bit of the background on cancel culture, and let's talk about what, what it all means, is that as of late, the term cancel culture has definitely been one that has been more recently sort of framed around this sort of overly woke movement. Um, 
that is at least framed as something that's pushed primarily by liberal side of, of, the, of the conversation as a mechanism to try to shut down conservative voices, right? And it's a, a framing that, frankly, you know, President Trump has done, I will say a good job, whether, whether you agree or not in terms of that position, he's done a good job of framing it that way mm-hmm. and really making it something that, that is part of sort of his platform, right? Is that this pushback against this woke movement. But that's kind of where we are, right? The reality too, and we'll get into some of the examples, is this notion of having social, putting social pressure against brands or people yeah. when their disagreement yeah. with that brand or people, that's happened on both sides. And we'll get into some of that. But as you think about cancel culture, we're, we're starting a little bit to talk about the sort of the, the role of the social platforms. But mm-hmm. what's the, what sort of first stands out to you about the current moment and kind of where we are in this maybe overreaction, over response to when people have a different point of view? Yeah. Well, look, I think that like with anything, it's important for us to define terms. Right. And with some of this stuff, it's so new and it's a moving target. So it's more difficult to actually, you know, level set on what it is we're, we're, we're talking about. But when I think about the idea of cancel culture and its very rapid evolution from the cases you just described to now we're talking about, you know, some people don't like Nike and some people don't like Goya and for different reasons right. and we're kind of all over the map. That progression also has meant things that the term itself is addressing very different things. And I'll, this is my perspective. The yeah. first part is we're talking about people, individuals, right? And the evolution from individuals to now organizations, brands, companies, et cetera, that is something that, that bears mentioning and discussing. Yeah. The second thing for me is this idea of just and I'm saying in quotes, just cancellation. And I don't mean like only, I mean justice around the cancellation. Like things are justified, right? Justified. And yeah. because in many cases, they re- again, they reveal like who the person really is. They're out there talking a good game. They're doing things for this community. And yet behind closed doors, they're leading this, this, this kind of lifestyle. Comparing that to other cases where people are either canceled because of something they said 10, 15 years ago, think of somebody like, you know, Kevin Hart got into some trouble recently. Yeah. You know, on some of his, uh, uh, you know, uh, comments. A- anything that relates to comedians, I think, would be pr- part of that category. Or something like uh, Nick Sandman, the young kid who um, there, there was the meme about with the uh, Native American man with the drum. Right. The kid with the matter, MAGA hat He was hat featured wearing. in the RNC this week. He was featured in the RNC. And I think there's, there's a difference between the just ones about like, hey, we're going to reveal who you really are. And these ones where these people are canceled. And in many cases, canceled, when you find out what really happened, it's a completely different thing. So there's like gradations and a spectrum for me that we need to start with. Uh, You're right about all of those. Uh, I think maybe even taking even further back to me, when I hear cancel culture, the term cancel itself is, I don't, it doesn't mean the same thing across all, all these different examples, right? And when people say cancel culture, the reality is in most of these cases, people are not actually being canceled, right? J.K. Rowling is probably the best example of that, right? People have a really big issue with the position that she's now had historically. I think it sort of keeps on popping up every so often as it relates to her view with sort of the, the, the difference between women and, and, and trans people, right? And she will fall into the category of cancel culture in the sense that there's been a lot of pushback about her. But let's be honest, nothing about her is actually canceled. Right, there is a legitimate pushback about her and her her, her view, and people not wanting to support her books. And mm-hmm. you can maybe make an argument now the likelihood of her having another really successful book or another series or something getting developed into a film, maybe that could be impacted. That's fair, and and, mm-hmm. and that happens. Mm-hmm. But there's nothing about her itself that's actually canceled. And I think in a lot of these cases, the reality is they're not really canceled. 
I think what was happening is that in, in going back to what you were saying about that example of talking about this in the context of the initial sort of movement of this was really sort of geared, especially in, in, in I think got a lot of momentum, especially during the Me Too movement. But let's be honest, like some really crappy things happen that kind of all started to come to light where people that really should no longer be in these positions of power because they had very much abused their power, mm-hmm. taken advantage of people. And those people did lose their jobs. Some of them got arrested. There's a bunch of things. I have zero issue with that, like zero issue yeah. with that because there are people that really shouldn't be in those positions of power to begin with because they have a show that they, you know, using it for personal gain and really taking advantage of the situation. So mm-hmm. I think there are people tend to be kind of okay with sure. the fact that there was this social movement that, sort of reacted, responded, and put pressure to the powers that be, whether it be the studios, whether it be brands, and et cetera. I think, and, I, and I think that, that all makes sense, right? Yeah, but it, but mm-hmm. the, the, will you want to call it downside or not, right? The result of that is sort of, is this awakening of saying, wait a minute, we actually have, as consumers, and as people that have a voice through these social platforms, we have a lot more power than what we think we do. And the ability to organize very quickly across a lot of sort of much broader group to put pressure into some of these brands yeah. to make a change, to make a, and I think that is, what I find super interesting, and then of course you then that then gets applied, you know, gets a much sure. w- wider set of of criteria of which some become a lot more questionable. Like, is that really a reason to try to sort of end someone's career or end their opportunities going forward or or get them fired? Right, like that's where I think it's, it started becoming like a lot more interesting. And I, well, I think that's that you just highlighted the point though, because I, I do think that these are very different things, right? The idea of a company or a brand going out and having a position and then suffering the consequence, financial or otherwise, for having that position, I view as kind of like the free market. Yeah. I kind of view the reality of living in a connected world. Not everybody's going to agree with what you have to say to the extent that you go beyond what you do, beyond selling sneakers or coffee or whatever, and you go into the public fray. And by virtue of that, you piss off some people and they stop being your customer for whatever reason, right, wrong. That's in a category that I can significantly more easily get my arms around and go like, hey, man, that's just you know life in the big city, right? That's yeah. the cost of doing business in today's world. And we can talk a little bit about these brands. The one that I think is frankly immoral is the idea of somebody having a perspective as unpopular as it may be or as even small as it may be. We talked earlier about black conservatives, right, as one example. By the way, a ton of black conservatives and even black Democrats at the RNC, which was a whole other topic uh, episode right. but we, you know, we may eventually get to. But I think those kind of cases where somebody is doxxed, right, like their public information is put out, their address, their whatever, people threaten to kill them, right? This kid Nick Sandman is an example, right? He and all of his little, you know, college or – I'm sorry, not college. They were in high school. High school, um, uh, you know, friends, those guys got doxxed. Their lives were threatened. They were under, you know, constant fear for what ultimately ended up being actually not what happened. In other words, that he had confronted this person or whatever. Yeah, it was actually for just crappy reporting, let's be honest, right? Part well, of it is like taking the situation and framing it in a manner that wasn't actually what was happening there. And it was right. driven by this specific image of so, what, what looked at like this showdown, right? Yeah. That once the truth came out, it was more a case where this Native American person was, a, was drumming it, actually walked up to them. Walked up to them, yeah. And that was... Yeah, that's, yeah. And and so I I were, like, that's what I talk about. When I think cancel, and and I'm curious to think of, like, what you think of those particular cases, because I view those as... That to me, it's hard to imagine that and having the retribution that the, that that can happen because we're so connected, 
putting that in the same category as, you know, Nike putting something out that's going to piss off a bunch of people and consequently people either buying or not sneakers. Like I put those in yeah, that's very a, different actually, categories. That's a really good way to frame it. And I, I'm, I think I'm way more in your camp than not on this one, which is if, if by cancel culture or by having a, a response to a position, a comment, et cetera, equates to voting with your wallet in terms of supporting a brand or not, I'm all for that. Me too. And I think brands need, need to be astute to really understand who their clients are that will be impacted, that will have a reaction against whatever their stance is. And if based on that stance, that, that you know, consumer base doesn't want to transact with you anymore, that's on you for not understanding your consumer well enough, right? Yeah, I agree with um, that. What, I, what I'm not for, and I think we're getting at, is a situation when someone's life is threatened for having a different point of view, right? Like there's no reason why people should feel that they are at harm's way and that... And this happens across the board, right, in terms of, of where your sort of political position is, um, that people feel like they have to protect themselves or that they are now afraid that based on what they've said, something's going to happen to them. This happened in the Me Too movement as well with some people coming out, right, that they were, they were being, you know, obviously sharing their story and then them getting threatened as well. So that notion, and unfortunately, that is really the downside of social media and this notion of being able to say what you want to say behind a computer, Right, that opens up this sort of the worst of people to to make these horrific comments, make these threats, and I don't think any of us, or especially you and you and I, are are for, for sure not for that type of pushback as it relates to uh, topics or, or issues that you may not agree with. Yeah, and so so it seems like we agree on the kind of free market or vote with your wallet, uh, you know, view of cancel culture. I, I hesitate to actually name it even in that category because I think we've always had this stuff. We call it, you know, free market, call it, you know, supply side economics, call it whatever you want to call it. But we've kind of had the idea that we have a right to buy stuff. And if we don't buy stuff, like we can vote that way. Like, Well, I think the difference, though, if I was to say yeah. what, what, what is different now about that exact dynamic is that not only are people are free to not buy based on what they think or don't think about a certain company. But they're also free to tell all of their other friends. They can advocate, but they can that, do that. that they can, but they could do that before. Now they just have they better, they have more effective means to do it. Way more effective means to do it, right? And and that's where I I have an issue when this is, gets framed, primarily by the the right side of the equation as being this overly woke movement to try to just kind of cancel everything or be no sensitive. Like the reality, look, if that's your consumer base, and your consumer base does not align with the values that you have as a corporation, that's a problem. And I think as CEOs, and we'll get into this, we'll talk some of the examples, but if you're a CEO, what you say matters. You, whether you like it or not, you represent that company. Yeah. There is no distinction between your personal values and the company values when you're the CEO. If you're the secretary, you could go out on social media and say something. People, some of them, some of them have an issue, but people understand like, oh, well, you're someone that doesn't have a high role in driving the, the future of this company and setting the strategy, setting where people are, are, what you're investing in. But if you're the CEO or if you're the board, what you say matters. So when I hear someone in that kind of position be upset that why can't I just share my personal views? I'm sorry, but you gave up to some extent your the ability to completely distinguish your personal views yeah, your corporate I, views when you are the leader I, of that company. I agree with that sentiment. I do think that it's a bit of a shame on one uh, on one side that you can't divorce yourself from the place that you work from an ideological perspective at that at that level. But I understand what you're saying, and I and generally I agree with it. I do think that a lot of these you know guys and gals who are in those positions, 
could help themselves out quite a bit simply by prefacing things better, right? Speaking, sure. saying, you know, th- this It will help. Com- I mean, you may have the same outcome, way, but it will help. Completely, you know, sort of about face in terms of the, of the categories, but this happens a lot in like church circles, right? So as an example, the Pope can speak about something, but oftentimes the preface is he's speaking as a private theologian. Like it'll say, my opinion as a private theologian is different than him saying, we now as 1.5 billion Catholics believe something, right? So, and, and again, it's a, it's a strange example, but I it's, think that if but CEOs... But it's super nuanced, Charlie. I think the challenge with even that is what I would argue is that the ability for people to understand that difference is going to be fairly limited because unfortunately, and we've talked about this in previous podcasts, the is headline that culture. the way, forget the cancel culture, the way people are consuming that message. No, no, the headline culture. Is a hel- so, yeah, yeah, thank you. Yeah, I, yeah, I didn't, I didn't yeah. hear that. Uh, it's a headline, right? Not even the full body of exactly 100%. everything that was said. 100%. So you're right to some extent. And I would apply it against everything, right? That's why what a president says, and it's, I'm not picking on Trump, what mm-hmm. any president says matters, especially when they're the current well, president. Well, actually, Obama and Trump seem to agree on this one, on well, cancel and, culture. And so going, yeah, on, on this one specifically, both Obama, uh, Obama made comments about this in terms of opposing, you know, what was once again framed as, as cancel culture. And Trump has been very adamant about it. Now, I'm sure if we go, actually go back to your point about going to the sources and actually look at what they were talking about, it will be a night and day difference in terms of the how that gets bucketed. But it is something that I think has been um, reacted to by, by different groups as something that is just not good to, yeah. to have this ability where someone can't say anything or can't do something without the fear of this massive retribution that could possibly end their careers. Um, but to that point, why don't we, let's, let's actually get into some of these examples because I think one of the ones and this the, the most probably relevant and most recent is this notion, and especially when we start talking about brand taking a political stance, you have to look at the NBA, right? So the NBA, uh, and the reason we mentioned what, uh, what data was and when we're recording this, which is once again the morning of uh, August 27th, is that so much has happened in the NBA over the last 24 hours um, that, we, that we thought it was really important to actually cover this, right? So to give people a little bit of background as to what's happening uh, is basically on, on a Wednesday night, uh, the Milwaukee Bucks boycotted their game five of the playoffs against the Orlando Magic, right? And this is, it was a, a, a sort of first ever in this time that at least that we know or I, I could think of and I didn't yeah. go all the way back to, to figure this out, but... No, I think it is a first ever on a playoff basis. First, for first, sure. that first time ever. And it was really interesting the way it was done and the fact that the NBA, I'm sorry, that the Milwaukee Bucks specifically chose not to basically boycott the game, didn't go on to the, the, the arena, and this sort of kicked off a, a, um, a series of events that really went across not just the NBA, but across all the other leagues. So in the NBA itself, all three playoff games were canceled, including the one with the Lakers uh, against uh, the Portland Trailblazers. Um, that then sort of started impacting all the other leagues. And this all happened all in the afternoon and on Wednesday night. The WNBA suspended all three of their games, and this is regular season for them. Major League Baseball suspended three of their games uh, out of 13 that were played. Now, one thing to note there is because of, it happened so late in the day where Milwaukee Bucks decided not to play, you know, my assumption would be is some of those games, some of those other 10 games that played in, in uh, Major League Baseball probably happened earlier in the day. Right. So I, I, we didn't check that. And, right? and to be clear, we're, th- this is in response to the shooting. Yeah, we'll get of, into that yeah. right, as to why all this happened. Uh, okay. and we'll, yeah, we'll talk. Yeah. I think it's actually really I think important. Most people here. know, but important. To, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and then uh, Major, League, uh, Major League Soccer, they suspended five out of their six games. 
the only actual league that that seemed to play all all their games were the NHL. They had they were also in the playoffs. They played all three playoff games. I mentioned it not to as an indictment to the NHL and how much support or not, because the reality is all real time sort of happening, happening right yeah, now. In real time. The reason why this happened, going back to what you said, so to give context. So just this past Sunday, um, there was unfortunately another shooting of an unarmed black man, right, by police, right? So what happened on Sunday is Jacob Blake was shot seven times in the back on Sunday night. Um, it, the, the, the story is pretty heartbreaking, right? He was in this, when he got shot, basically, and I'll give you as much as we know, and this is a developing story, so if I get any details incorrectly, I, I do apologize. It's just, it's all still coming out. Um, it was initially reported that there was some kind of domestic event that was happening there, some kind of fight that he was involved Initially, was said as him breaking it up. Uh, police were called to the scene. Um, when they came, they tried to arrest him. As a matter of fact, there's been a second video that's come out that actually shows that there was some scuffle between himself and three police officers. Uh, in this video, now there's multiple videos, he walks away from the police officers, goes from the passenger side of his car to the driver's side of his car. As he's walking to the driver's side, he's being, they're basically following him, all walking, by the way. This is not like a running event or chasing. One of the police officers, you know, pulls, pulls their, his gun out, and as he opens the door and, and reaches in, he gets shot three times, I mean, seven times in the back. What's really sad is all three of his sons were in the car at the mm. same time, a three-year-old, five-year-old, and an eight-year-old. Um, and it's, you know, the, the backlash immediately has been tremendous. Now, for him specifically, he, uh, he is alive. Uh, it's feared that he will be paralyzed. Um, and this happened in Kenosha, Wisconsin, right? And, and so that was what, you know, LIPA responded to a yet one more example of in broad daylight, uh, this usage of excessive force uh, on, a, on a black man that was unarmed. Although in this case, it has come out since, at least what I've seen, that apparently there was uh, a knife in the car. Um, it's still unclear whether or not the police officers knew this before they shot him that many times. Um, but it still creates this situation where there my was guess is they probably response. didn't, but it's just a guess. Say it again. You know? so my guess would be that they probably didn't know what was in. the Yeah, car, maybe. But it's just yeah, my yeah guess. I don't know. It's it's it's. I don't see how that would make much of a difference, though. In terms yeah, of what ultimately um, happened. Of course, immediately following the shooting uh, in Kenosha, uh, protests began. Right, and, and the, the the sort of the story tends to be very consistent. Initially peaceful, as the night starts set in, it starts to becoming more violent. And Looney, now deadly arson. In downtown Kenosha, and this is a small town, right? So yeah. the other thing is, so they're not really prepared to handle that. Mm -hmm. And then to add more, more of even more of an issue, um, on Tuesday night, uh, a young man, a 17-year-old kid, uh, this teenager, white teenager from actually from Illinois, is, but it's sort of across the border, but my understanding is actually fairly close. Uh, his name is Kyle Rittenhouse. Um, uh, allegedly uh, shot two protesters, killing them. And then shot a third one, uh, leaving him injured, right? And he, there's a lot that's coming out. There's tons of video about, about this kid at the protest. But at least from what is understood, he was there, uh, you know, it seems like he was there to try to protect businesses. Um, there is some, some conversation about whether or not he was part of this small but heavily armed militia. He was carrying a, a rifle with him, which, you know, I don't want to speculate the kind of rifle. It looked like an AR-15 from my uneducated point of view, but it, it did seem like a semi-automatic rifle. Um, and once again, was there, had come into the town to protect businesses and 
which ultimately led into him shooting, you know, these two protesters and killing them, right? Yeah. So all of this happened. We on, could spend six months breaking this down in so many different ways, and that's the problem is, it, it, but, you know. But the, it's all of, and the reason why all these things are important is that there was already a, a immediate response from yeah. the NBA, yeah. immediate response from the biggest players in the NBA, like LeBron James, with just this frustration that yet again, you know, yet again, this happens at broad daylight. This notion that, we have to get to such a violent state immediately that, that like you have to shoot someone that many times at that close range. And even when there's three police officers that they can't find any other way to be able to hold this person down. Right. And I think that's what the frustration and it adds to the fact that you have this, this other kid that goes in there heavily armed, ends up killing protesters. And the backdrop of this is under, unfortunately an RNC that is happening right now, where a big theme of this RNC is law and order where they even featured two people that were, you know, that came in the news uh, uh, probably about a month or two or two ago because they basically took out their guns and were defending their homes. And I put it in air quotes, I guess, protesters that were walking by. So this is notion of celebrating people that, and I'll give you the narrative. We could agree or disagree whether that's the right narrative, but yeah, no, celebrating no, 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 no. to some extent the people that are basically taking up arms against protesters. And now this kid goes out and does that. And now two more people are now dead. Yeah. I mean, look, like I said, and thank you for that background. That's that's really helpful. And I, there's no scenario on earth where we dissect all of this in the course of this this podcast episode. But I think there's so much in there that is, you know, ultimately um, part of the challenge that we have as a society today. And one of them is that all of this complexity, right? Now we're talking about a shooting that happened in broad daylight, bunch of different officers there responding to something, right? These people just right. didn't show up here randomly, yeah, yeah. like go were, hunt yeah, somebody they down. Sure. They were called into that situation. The person who was involved in this was in some thing, which we yet don't know, was some kind of altercation. He was not being compliant at all with officers. No, he had a scuffle with, I mean, there's actually a, a video of him having a scuffle, exactly, with, had a scuffle with, with, with officers. Right, so, so like you have all of these different dimensions, all of this nuance and complexity could have been, you know, th and there could be all kinds of reasons for why those things are happening. But within a nanosecond of watching one video, we have very, very powerful people and people in celebrity and in sports speaking out, coming immediately to conclusions on what's happened. Besides the obvious, the obvious is there's somebody who's badly injured, right? And and and, and God willing, this person will recover or will recover as much as he can. But thank God he's not dead, and that's number one. Right. Number two is we've like all of these things from on high. These people who are completely separate. I mean, I think it's emblematic that a lot of these athletes are in this NBA bubble because that's what it feels like. You are in a literal bubble that you're opining, and this is my sense, from Mount Olympus, here's what's happened, right? And I think it's because these people oftentimes are arbiters of culture, because they have so much authority to frame what is actually happening in the world, I think so much of that just ends up adding fuel to the fire. Why not wait 10 minutes a day to yeah. understand. We've said it five times on this podcast that this is happening in real time. We don't have all the data. If I'm wrong about anything I'm saying, I'll apologize in advance because I don't have all the data and I'm the one telling you. But I think part of the big problem is because of this headline culture, because of the idea of like doing everything in tweets, because of the idea of having to respond first to make sure that we're like, you know, oftentimes to either agree or disagree very, very quickly so people know what side we're on. I think a lot of that is part of the problem. I really do. Yeah, so I, I, I have a very different point of view in terms of, of what you just you just shared. But just to give a little bit more background on the NBA and specifically why I think they have been so quick to respond, proactive. You know, we could frame it in a bunch of different ways as not, you know, sort of, you know, doing their homework enough before responding. But 
to give even more context on, on this is that the NBA specifically uh, came to this moment during the because of they were shut down because of the coronavirus, right? Of whether considering whether or not they would even resume the season, right? Uh, as part of the players' conversation, Kyle Irving came out very strongly saying that he believed that basically the season should not conclude. And the reason for that is he felt that because of the response to what happened with George Floyd, that their efforts were better served supporting the movement, getting involved, and it was not a time for basketball, right? So the players agreed there's been to- there's more st- of that too. There's been this idea of like sports is not important. It's that, that's a bit, become yeah, a bit so, of a hashtag in its own right. Yeah, and the, and the reason I'm mentioning that is because part of the agreement that the players had as to, as to how what were going to be the terms that they were going to actually play the game is only if they were allowed to still have a strong- presence, a strong support to the movement um, within the actual context of the game, right? So some of the things that happened is that while all, pretty much all this, the, the leagues have started, they all did, at least initially, some level of kneeling uh, in support of Black Lives Matter, something that was, of course, very controversial with the NFL when Colin Kaepernick first did it, but I think they've all kind of done it across the board. I mean, we even saw, you know, response to this go all the way to NASCAR, right? Where NASCAR finally agreed to actually take off and ban the Confederate flag within the, you know, w- within the stadiums as they're, as they're doing the races. The other thing, too, that the NBA did is that allowed the, the players to have some kind of personal choice, ability to actually put specific messages within their jerseys that they can choose. So if you notice on the, any games, they all have their names and then had the choice to put some kind of message around it. So there's already the super heightened sensitivity, the fact that you have a lot of players that have very mixed messages, mi- mixed feelings, I'm sorry, not messages, mixed feelings of even playing the season because they want to be supportive of what's happening. They sort of see this bigger thing happening. And then this happened, right? And then there's sort of this, this moment of saying like, you know, are we better served by playing this game that even as much as we care and it's our living and, and there's all this benefit from doing it, is this the right time to be playing this game or is it the right time for us to focus on this movement? And it just... And I can, and, and and I can and by the way, about, I, but I understand that, Jesus, and what I'm saying is I, I agree with that. I think that we need more conversations, not less. And I agree with the athletes being as vocal as they want about whatever issues they want. I think we have to acknowledge, though, the reality that it, there are consequences just like you would have consequences as an employee of anything. So in the, in the 80s when this happened in football, I forget the exact circumstances around it, but... Like the starter athletes, like they didn't play. They actually brought in replacement athletes, and people still tuned in. They still, uh, they, they still went and watched some of these games. It didn't take that long before this yeah. arbitration or whatever ended up happening. But my sense is, if you ask a lot of the NBA people, and again, this is just a hunch because this is not based at all on on fact, but you know, say, hey, you know what? We're not going to pay you for the rest of the season. Sit out as many games as you want. Don't play as long as you want. But we're a business. We have to keep moving. Yeah. I think that 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 would change the dynamic. And I think right now the situation is so nuclear where I think that you could say, yeah, don't play. We're not going to have any playoff games. Everybody still gets paid their salary. Everybody still gets their contract agreed to. And I think that that's not really staying true to your principles. If you really do believe that, then I think that you should really do it. Go spend time doing advocacy, advocating for those things. But don't try to have your cake and eat it too. And my sense is that's a little bit of what's yeah, actually I, going on I don't on think right that now. at all that they're trying to have their cake and eat it too. I, I actually have a very different point of view of it. And part of it, let's start with the fact that... You think they're getting paid? They're not getting paid? It doesn't paid. matter whether or not they're getting paid or not. Well, no, no, but, but my, my point matter. about having their cake and eat it too is I, I don't agree with that at all. Um, and the reason for that, I, I say, is that one, let's start with the fact that they're in a bubble, right? Mm-hmm. Or that there's somehow... I think one of the narratives that's been put out there is that these are superstar athletes that are not really impacted by what's happening, right? As much as we can say that there's fear amongst this community, that it doesn't really touch them, 
this notion of over-policing, of response by police, police against black people in general, is something that has touched the NBA already, right? There's two very prominent cases about that that are very, very recent. One has been with, um, and I forget now exactly if it's a GM or president of the Toronto Raptors. At the end of last season, in the championship game, when the Raptors have won the game, there was this thing that came out where the, once again, I think, I think it's the president of the, of the, of the Raptors, was uh, basically assaulted by one of the police officers that was there to protect during the game. And this kind of came out and there was even a countersuit by the police officer saying that, this, that the president had basically assaulted him first. And the video actually came out, his body cam video was just released as part of this court case. I want to say maybe it was two weeks ago or a week ago, I forget when, when it was. And it clearly shows that as this guy's walking towards the court to celebrate with a team that just won the NBA championship and he's pulling out literally his, his credentials, credentials, he gets shoved multiple times and there's just a little bit of a scuffle, right? And, and the response there was like, listen, I have, and, and when, he, when he talked about that incident, he said like, look, I have the power, the resources, the platform to push this. As a matter of fact, felt very vindicated the fact that there is this video, but even without that, has the legal resources to be able to do something about it. Said, but the problem is, if it was any other black person, right, just like me, that looks just like me, would not have that, that level of resources to be able to sort of push back. So this notion of that they're somehow in this bubble protecting, of course, this happened before the bubble, but the idea yeah. is that it falls into the shores of the NBA. No, but, but, There's but, also but, a case but, about another NBA yeah. player who was in him, I, I should have researched it before this, who was basically uh, harassed by police officers. Mm-hmm. I figured out these for what like what team he played for, but this is this is not the superstar. This is not like a like a LeBron James or one of those because obviously yeah. those guys are a completely different status than everyone else. Okay, I think I think you may be misunderstanding what I'm saying. So, number one, I'm not at all stating in any way, shape, or form that any of these issues don't impact anyone who actually works, plays, is an owner, athlete in the NBA. That's not at all what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that I think that the formulation of here's what's happening happens way too fast by people who have a tremendous amount of cultural clout and they don't use it responsibly. I think when somebody like LeBron James sends out a tweet, I don't know if he realizes how much of how much he has in terms of power to shape how people feel about things who are out there who may not have all the information. Yeah. And all I'm saying is that super quick response on any issue of this magnitude without knowing the fullness of the details, I think, is irresponsible at best and damaging at worst. That's, that has nothing to do with whether or not they've been impacted by anything. That's my one point. The second point that I have is that everyone who has a you know, work of any kind or lives in, the, in a professional setting or a sports professional setting, if, you're, if you work for an organization of any kind, you need to be able to have you know, the confidence of your convictions and be able to speak your mind about the things that you care about. But in some cases, that actually means that you may need to take a financial hit or whatever. I mean, this happens throughout history, right? So what I'm saying is that I am personally not convinced that people, not yet anyway, that that a lot of the folks who are who are very quickly, you know, issuing their either condemnations or praising of certain thing that's shaping all of this conversation, I don't think that a lot of those folks have the courage of their convictions to that degree where they would say, you know what, this is important where I'm literally leaving the sport in order to dedicate my time to this. That's what I meant by have your cake and eat it too. I didn't mean that they're that they're in a, the bubble insulates them from something that's happened to them personally. I meant that they, that they comes across as we're insulated, kind of protected from the consequences of these different things. That's kind of what I what I meant yeah. by that. 
Yeah, I guess to my reaction to to both those things is that part of I think there's two things. One is what is the best forum for these players to create impact if that's what they really want to do, right? One could be is they should be at the forefront of these protests in front with their you know basically pushing that message at at the forefront of the conversations, right? I actually would argue that is not the most effective way for them to be really create an impact. Having LeBron James attend a protest, while it could be meaningful, it will get covered, it doesn't actually put any additional pressure on anyone that is in a position of power to make a decision, then doing it from the platform of being as part of a team, being as part of the NBA, um, even whether or not they're actively playing, right? Now, what, what makes it really impactful in my mind and why I actually give them a lot more credit for what they did is that on Wednesday night, when after the Milwaukee Bucks had decided not to play, by the way, the first thing that they did is they with support of their coach and the owner, they called the lieutenant government, lieutenant governor of Wisconsin, I think the governor as well, and were asking for like, what can we do? How do we help this situation? Because we can't just sit here and do nothing, right? Part of it is also to collect their thoughts because they did come out with a statement and part of their statement was like, we need to get ourselves better educated. This was the Milwaukee Bucks and I give them tons of credit because they took the first step, which seemed like without any kind of plan, knowing how they can impact, other than it just felt wrong to play a playoff game that by the way, in a series that they're actually winning three to one, or I guess, uh, yeah, I guess three, three to one. So they have way more to, to lose, to risk than, than not playing, right? Or than, than actually, play, than, yeah, by, by, by not playing. So I thought to me, was like, it's really telling the fact that they really are trying to do something about this. They, yeah, they took the first step without maybe having a really thought up plan, but sometimes like really good change happens by just taking a step, right? So I appreciate that. And then when there was a players meeting later on that day on Wednesday night, voting on whether or not the season should even continue, right? The two teams that voted to not continue were the Lakers and the Clippers. Now, why, why that's really meaningful in my mind is those are the two, we could argue about this, but two of probably the best teams in the NBA, the likelihood of either one of them being the champion this year is pretty high. Right. They, they chose They're the biggest names. They're the ones that have literally the most to lose as it relates to being able to get a champion, which is very hard to do. And think about LeBron James. Like, he's no longer a kid, right? So, and, and by doing that, they also are risking the fact that they can lose 25 to 30% of their salary for next year. So going back to the financial input that you're talking about. And, the, se- and the, the second thing, which I think is really important, is that by actually choosing not to, to continue, it puts, it puts their collective bargaining agreement at risk. Where it could get canceled and then renegotiated and during a time of COVID. Where for the owners, it will be significantly better financially for to have a new CBA now considering what's happened with COVID. So to me, the financial risk is definitely there. So them taking that kind of stance, even with LeBron making that response right away, I have zero issue with it because what he's responding to is that why does it take, why is it when you have three police officers, regardless of the situation, when one unarmed person, it takes shooting them within point blank range, even if your choice is, I'm going to shoot this person to stop them. Look, if within three people that are there at less than a foot away, you can't shoot them in the leg and an arm anywhere or, or seven, shooting them seven times is so outrageous shooting them seven times at that close range. And I think that's what people are responding to. There could be a lot of context of what happened. There could be a, a fist fight. He could have had a knife on him. It's still hard to justify why you need to shoot that person that many times at less than a but foot here, away. But again, but the, but the facts of the situation is right now we don't know everything. We know what we've seen, but just like we saw that Nick Sandman video of a kid smirking at a Native American wearing a MAGA hat and everything that got created around that was this guy's a villain. He attacked this Native American guy and it was the opposite that was true. Now, is it going to be as 
is it going to be is the truth of this in its fullness going to be as a sort of an about face as that particular case was i highly doubt it do i think that the police um, did way you know well beyond what they should have relative to the situation that they were in yes so c- completely agree with that. But my point with the athletes is not about their platform. Again, I don't know. Maybe I'm not making my point clearly. It's not about LeBron James having a platform or having the right to say anything. It's what he chooses to say when and how fast. Let me tell you what I would have done, okay? And I'm not an athlete. I've you know, nowhere near the talent or ability. But if, if it was me, I'd like to think that I would have said, there was a man that was shot and killed today. We don't know all the details. I'm crushed for him. Pray for him and his family. Send donations to X, Y, and Z. I'm going to spend time to research this information, find out what truly happened. Then we're going to move as aggressively as we can to make sure this kind of thing never happens again. That is a leader. That's somebody who recognizes the power of their words and does something from the platform that you just said, but actually has the sense, in my opinion, to nuance that over a period of time because they know the kind of things that are happening right now in the country. I mean, let's ask ourselves, okay, and this is you know, definitely something – I'm not going to lay it at the feet of LeBron James, but let's ask ourselves. With people now in these protests dropping, it seems like a lot, left and right, right? People being shot. There's about five or six cops that have been killed during this time, and there's obviously now protesters as well that that you know that that have been shot and killed or have died in other ways run over and different stuff like that how many of those lives could we have saved if we try to bring the temperature down instead of bring the temperature up right those are the things that i think about and so i don't begrudge anyone's platform what i what i you know uh I guess begrudge is the wrong term, but what I, what I'm sad about is that we the people who have that kind of pulpit don't take the time to be more nuanced about what they say, right? And we can all point at examples of like, oh, well, the president doesn't do it, and these are people. It's like I get it, but you know, comparison is the thief of everything, right? That's an old saying, and so I think that we people who have a tremendous amount of visibility and enormous platforms have an additional responsibility to be more thoughtful and nuanced, in particular when there are situations that are so volatile, because who knows who they they can send over the edge. And so anyway, my thought is on that. And in terms of the financial implications, I don't, I'm not as, as, uh, as uh, have the background that you have in terms of all the, the things you mentioned, collective bargaining agreements, all that other stuff. And I totally get it. But and if those those costs are there, good. I think that that's the kind of thing that then you really have to step into, um, you know, with conviction, the positions that you have and you have to choose them, right? And I think that that's important because it's easy to say, kind of sit on the sideline and go, well, everything's ch- is the same for me. I'm still going home to this particular house and I'm driving this particular car and I've got this particular job security, but I want to opine this way um, in a way that, you know, could or might shape the conversation or discourse in a negative way. And so, you know, but but my issue is not with the platform. My issue is with the speed and the 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 sort of like lightning from on high responses when the situation we don't understand all of the things that, that have happened and not just that and the situation is volatile. If it was just one or the other, I don't think I would it, it would matter to me as much. It's it's the it's the trend I think that gets that is, is the level of frustration. And, and I, I view a number of the different commentary that happened last night in response to the, um, you know, to the cancellation of the game. Uh, Chris Weber had a great sort of response that he talked about this. And a big part of it is, is just, it's not just about um, 
about Jacob Blake, right? It's about George Floyd. It's about Breonna Taylor. It's about Rashard Brooks. I would say one that doesn't get enough of that national attention is Andres Guardado, which is a kid that was killed here in L.A. You know what, what the, 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 the sad thing about this is, especially for the state of Wisconsin, is they've had a proposition put, put in front of the state legislature for police reform that the, the state legislature has done nothing with it. And I really appreciate the fact that you had this. I know we're talking a lot about LeBron James because of who he is and, and how big of a platform he has. But to give credit where credit is, is due, Milwaukee Bucks literally said, like, we don't know what it is. We're going to call. We're going to got support of the owner. We're going to engage with the Let's figure out what figure can out we actually do based on our platform. And part of it was like, well, let's, get, let's, let's try to put pressure on the state legislature to actually do something about, even look at, this police reform. Now, I have no idea what's included in it, right? So we're not yeah, even going to talk about what's but, in there. But I agree with you. That's, but that's part of like the real of action. Being thoughtful. I, I, it's very thoughtful. Yeah. And, I, and I think with, when it comes to LeBron, I'm super proud of him. I, honestly, like I've not been, even though I'm a lifelong Laker fan, I've, I, I wasn't too much, of a, too much of a fan of LeBron with the mm-hmm. whole the decision and all that. But even when his res, the response may be a little bit quick, which I understand that point of not being nuanced enough, I do think he's putting his, his money where his mouth is. He's very focused on getting people support for voting, something that he's been doing before that, right? So, giving resources for polling and, and for the poll places. And it's, you know, when you, when you hear his comments at the end of uh, the last game where they, where they beat the, the Portland Trail Trailblazers, he talked a lot about what his frustrations were. One of the things he brought up is like, he brought up this notion about training for police officers. Like the thing is, he's like, I'm first to say, like, I don't know what it is. But when I think about... Wait, you're the first to say or he's the first to say? He said that. that he said that, yeah. He was saying like, look, I, I, this is, I'm not quoting him, but basically along the lines of what he said. Yeah. Like, I, I don't know what the specifics are of the time that it takes for police officers to go into the academy to then be, to then be officers. But when I think about other careers that people do, and they have to go to college three, four years, and you think about, in, in the case of police, like how much training are they actually having? Like how much time are they spending before going, going out there? And like that has to be something that needs to get looked at, right? And... and there's, there's I think a, that nuance thing, yeah. and to his point, like just when I think about having three police officers, and you tell me that within three people you cannot stop one person, right? And that the only choice to be able to stop them is to shoot them seven times in the back. That's the point of frustration. That's the reaction. So there is a lot more happening there. But what is clear is that there were three people on side, three police officers on side, and this person was shot that many times. And, and even you know we mentioned Joe Rogan in the past, right? Joe Rogan is a big one where he talks about like police officers should know jujitsu. They should have a certain level of jujitsu training. Well, there's the fact the, that it gets to that degree so quickly, and, and it's that's the, the part that is hard to understand. In the justice reform stuff that the Trump administration has passed, there's a lot of um, de-escalation uh, training mm-hmm. that is basically what you're talking about, like how to actually bring things down from. You know, you get very, very heated. A person is not complying. They're yeah. not listening to what you're saying. It's starting to escalate. How to actually bring that situation down? But look, again, part of this, the very telling thing that you said is LeBron James in that scenario um, said, you know what? I don't know. That's that's powerful when somebody says that they don't know. I think we need more of that because, yeah. you know, because I have, you know, in my I family, was very thoughtful of his comments after the, after that interview. Well, I well, think his it, first it, tweet it is. response was very. It, that's. That's someone that is very hurt, frustrated of something that's sure. like yet again, sure. right? And sure. I, I get that. And I get sure. how even could be perceived as maybe type it. And look, we've all done that. I've done the, I type something out and then I delete look, it. Like, let me yeah. let myself cool down before yeah. I say it. Yeah. Let me give you an example and of how so I, 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 can, I yeah. understand that point, right? But, me, but, I, but I don't want to take credit away from the fact that he was extremely thoughtful and he is like really committed to trying to do something with his platform. And that, I, I just, I, I admire that from this guy that, Honestly, I didn't expect that from him. 
Mm-hmm. And I agree with that. I think we need more thoughtfulness. Let me just, let's close out this topic with just me giving you an example, or at least my last comment on, on this particular subject is, let me give you an example of how I raise my kids. Um, and because I think we need more of a, again, for me, the important thing in all these subjects is the fullness of the discussion, not just one aspect or facet of the discussion, right? We talked about recently how in you know coronavirus, we've heard all of the things that we shouldn't do, wash your hands, wear a mask, do whatever. But we very rarely hear about take vitamins, go get some activity, get in the sun, work out, the things that can drive up your immunity. That is the fullness of that conversation, right? That there's, yeah, there, yeah, yeah. Th- that's no, important. So it, let me give you it, the- That f- part definitely gets sort of left out of the discussion. It, it often does. So let me give you the example, I think, of the fullness in this particular kind of situation and how I raise my kids, okay? The, who are, by the way, my two youngest ones, 15 and 17, are at that age where they're either beginning to drive or can get themselves you know, pulled over or be in situations like this. And I've been telling them this since they were small. And that is to just listen and to just be calm and to try the very best to comply, even if they think that their, you know, um, situation, maybe they got pulled over, they weren't, if if the police officer says you're going 80 and you knew you were only going 65, that's not the moment to have that argument, right? So the idea of our role to de-escalate, our role to comply is the other side of the coin, I think, that is not often talked about. That doesn't justify anything that it, you know, there's any legal killing. It doesn't justify the killing of George Floyd. It doesn't justify any of these things at all. And when anybody dies, you know, for me, it's a devastating thing. That's just, I, I don't believe in all those, in any of that stuff personally. I don't believe in injustice of any kind. But we all have like a responsibility to do things. And what I try to raise my boys is know what moment you're in, know what moment you're in. And, you know, is, is being at night getting pulled over, somebody thinks you were going a certain speed or did a certain thing, is that the moment to argue? You know, just recognize the moment that you're in and do the right thing for that particular moment. You can have your day to make your case or your moment to make your case. It's not all at the same time. And I think that's kind of the, the part that I, that I try to impress upon my kids, not to stand uh, or, or put up with injustice. But just to recognize, right, the situation that you're in at that particular moment and do your part to not escalate things as well. And I think that conversation is had a lot with especially black and brown parents. And even in the cases of of your kids, right, your kids just simply by their complexion of their skin, they realize they have probably a lot more leeway in that moment that that you're referring to as opposed to someone that is significantly darker. And... It doesn't make it right, but it is the kind of conversation that it's had a lot of times, right? It's a discussion that I had with my parents that, you know, my brother at 16 years old got pulled over by the cops and put in the ground with a shotgun in his head because he looked like somebody else. Mm-hmm. 16-year-old kid yeah. driving, right? Mm-hmm. Didn't do anything. They didn't, like, take a red light or anything. That stuff happens, and that's something that you grew up with. It, you're right. I mean, the, the reality is that we can, I do not um, support this notion of making a situation worse, Obviously, in the case here, even of Jacob Blake, there's a lot that happened there that we don't know. He obviously was not complying, right? Like, there's all of that. The question still comes down to, having said all that, was this the way that Disney needed to be handled? Is this yet another example of case where the disregard of life is just there in broad daylight that it requires that level of violence to try to stop a person? Or our police officers are so under overwhelmed or under-trained, right? Let's think about it from our perspective. Like, do they have the resources, the tools, the experience 
constant situations like that, that, are, that that's what they go to immediately. And I think that's I think the part all the that things really, that you said are probably true. I think they are yeah, undertrained. That's, that's, it's sad. It's scary. I think, it's sad at the I, same time, right? It's got I've, all of it. I think that they are undertrained. I don't think that they have the, the in many cases, maybe to Rogan's point, the physical attributes to be able to you know, do things at a different level of force than perhaps they should. I don't think that exists. I also think that psychologically, that is one of the toughest jobs on the planet to have. And I think especially right now, imagine being in a black and white right now rolling around this country, right? And knowing like you already, you know, go into work going, hey, you know what? Today may be my last day. Today, like you already were doing that. Imagine now where it's like you're looking, it's like, you know, there may be actually people that got like literal crosshairs on me right now that I don't know. Yeah, I mean, that's, it, yeah, it, you, it, can't, that, you can't take that for granted. That's it, like PTSD. It, that's like being in Vietnam. Yeah, you know what but, I mean? But, but even understanding the moment, like with everything that has happened this year already, with all these months of protests across the world, right? Not just the US. Like, I wonder if that goes to this, you know, went to this police officer's head. Like, should I be shooting this person this many times? <laughs> like, is the time to, like, you, unload my gun on him? You, you know See what? what I'm saying? Like, like that's again, the, yeah, this I'm is sure pure, it, pure it, conjecture, but I bet you anything that every cop in the country is thinking about this on some level. But when you get to that point of yeah. blind, just yeah. fear or rage or anger or whatever it actually is, and we'll find out what it was. That, you know, enables you, again, justified, unjustified, armed, unarmed, you're still taking someone's life, right? When you get to that point, like, there's something that happens where I think, like, everything else just flies out of your head, like, all of that nuance, and you're just at that moment, right? And, and I, you know, I, I, again, my first thing is, like, somebody died, you know what I mean? And I don't want anybody to die, but then... What we do after that can either lead to more people dying or less, and I think that's where the conversation is. You know, the one thing we did not talk about at all, because there's so much to say about the sort of the social aspect of this uh, as it relates to the NBA, is what does the stance that the NBA has taken, even before today, right, yeah. before yesterday, of mm -hmm. actually postponing games, you know, how does that actually impact how fans see the game, how they want to engage, right? There's There's been press that's been said about the fact that ratings are down for the NBA. They are down, yeah. It's a bunch of reasons you could look at that. S depending on where you read that, it gets framed different ways. One of them is because of this overly over-presence, over-in-your-face messaging around support for this movement that that has a backlash in fans. Uh, part of it is that, look, they're playing games in a very sort of different bubble environment with no fans at very different times. You're having games that start super early, like yeah. middle of the day. Like you've never seen that kind of stuff during the week. Like, there's a thousand there's points all of these comparison. different reasons. But there is, I think one of the things that we may want to know for a while is what is the downstream impact as it relates to fan engagement, which then, then turns into brand support, which has all these downstream ramifications. Now, as a point of reference, we could think about the NFL. When they were going, especially in the, in the heat of the moment with Colin Kaepernick, right? And we were... You know, we, we had the benefit, meaning you and I, Charlie, of actually seeing some of the data and how that had a, had a change in terms of people's engagement with the NFL as it relates to that movement. Well, we were actually working with the NFL. We were working with the time. NFL at the time, right? And, and what was interesting, if I remember correctly, uh, is the fact that there was a drop overall in, uh, in sort of uh, uh, ratings and, and, and people's sort of perception of, of, of the NFL. But when you broke it out by both ethnicity and specifically, which is to me the most age, right? You saw a very different story. Very different right? picture. In ethnicity, African-American, Latino, you actually saw increases of, mm -hmm. of actually the, the sort of thought around, the, around the, the, the NFL, especially in support of the stuff that Colin Kaepernick was doing, right? Mm -hmm. As opposed to like Angles, you know, and, or, or, or white, non-Latino. Non and then, but when you look at age, the younger you went, 
it didn't matter what ethnicity they were. It was a like a jump up in support. And that, to me, is a really interesting dynamic, right? And especially with a league, in the case of the NFL and, and NBA, leagues that are, you know, have a pretty broad range of fans. But when you think about the future of the leagues, if you're a brand, if you're the CEO, if you're the commissioner, what are you thinking about? Like, do I do I play for the future or do I play for the past, right? It's, yeah, it's and tough. And that's one I mean, that Major League Baseball maybe the best example of that, right? But yeah. I'd love to get your th- thoughts on that because that's sort of a b- bigger issue beyond this moment. It's yeah. like, how do you think about these leagues and handing them off to the sure. next generation, especially with the next generation, things about life, about issues significantly, significantly different, different. Than the Yeah, look, I think it's, uh, on the whole, it's easy for us to say, right, to say like, hey, it'd be great to just bet on this group of people and kind of forego everybody else. It's like walking it's into, the, it's walking into the restaurant and saying to people, it's like, you know what, there's only 86 of your items that really move, so get rid of the other 100. It's like, it's easy for us to say that without kind of like being in that particular chair. But I agree with you that there has, there was an impact to that time period. And we also know, in fairness, what the NFL's response is, right? I mean, internally, and I won't, like, use the exact phrasing of the internal campaign, but bottom line, it was basically like, let's get back to playing football. That was the me- that's how that was their internal messaging after all of this. That was then, by the way. Now is like, yeah, we should have listened to Colin Kaepernick. Well, that's what I'm saying. That was actually that was, the commissioner talking was, about it now. That yeah. was then, right? Saying like, hey, you know what? Let's 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 um, let's kind of stay in our lane relative to things. Look, by the way, so, but on that, yeah. it also was a very different moment socially, right? Because because even then, as much support as Colin Kaepernick did get, yeah, it was nowhere to the degree that it is now as it relates to a broad movement across For different sure. ethnic groups. For okay. sure. Yeah. And I no, think no, that's look, the reason why you're seeing the NFL change. I think that, I think that sports in general team. has been completely changed and it, it'll continue to evolve into something that's very different than what it once was after all of this, or maybe it just remains fluid for, for yeah. forevermore. I mean, I have different thoughts on this. One is that, you know, we started this podcast because our thesis was the spheres that once were apart, politics, religion, um, you know, business uh, strategy, ideologies, these things could all be kind of compartmentalized and kept apart. Now they're increasingly coming into, in some cases, conflict, friction, overlap, whatever you want to call it, with one another. And so by virtue of that, like, we largely started this podcast to have some of those conversations. So I do believe that, and I believe that because of that, sports by its nature, athletes by their nature, have to be involved in most most of these or in a number of these conversations that historically they haven't been, and that leagues and brands have an additional layer of responsibility, opportunity, duty, whatever you want to call it, to actually act in that regard. But we also have to be mindful of the implications that go along with that and the consequences that go along with that, right? So it's like, yeah, we want to be in this state where we're commenting on every kind of social issue or allowing athletes to be, uh, you know, socially aware. Okay, I want, how does that apply when the pro-life athletes that are out in in leagues begin to wear pro-life shirts and jerseys uh, or, you know, other, other different issues where they're definitely not on the sort of woke side of the bus, right? So that's my, we have to understand those consequences. Like those can't be surprises downstream. That's like, wait a minute. You know, we said, hey, we want your, the athletes to speak out on the issues that they care about. Okay, well, this is an issue that I care about. You and know what I mean? Saw, and so You've already seen a little bit of shades of that, right? Um, and especially, let's start with, so we've been talking about the, the NBA. In the NBA, as they were doing, everyone started kneeling at the, at the beginning of the, of the game when the national anthem was playing. You saw cases already of some players not kneeling, but yet being in support of sort of the, the rest of the team, right? And then being very clear as to what, the, what their stance is as to why they weren't doing it. There was two in particular, and I'm blanking on both their names, unfortunately. 
But isn't it amazing more... that you're blanking on both of their names? I mean, this is part of the thing that I'm talking about. Is like we don't hear about those things. No, I it, bet was, you... it was it was pretty prominent. It's just that the this is not a player that is this is not in the sort of you know all star category or any any of that, right? One was for very religious reasons, which we brought up, and having more of an issue specifically with the organization Black Lives Matter. Uh, and I'm blanking on his name, and I, I do apologize for that. But, but yeah, he's not in the same kind of category. Um, as uh, some of the, of course, LeBron James, folks like that. And it was a second one as well, which once again, I'm, I'm still blanking on both. But the, the, <laughs> the point was that you are going to see some of that. I think that the bigger issue to me, Charlie, to think about is that for the NBA specifically, as far as I'm concerned, the genie is out of the bottle. Good luck putting that back in. Oh, yeah. Like, no, there no. is no scenario where I see players all of a sudden being muted by the league in any way whatsoever of having the kind of stance that they have, of having the power that they have. The reality, the NBA, part of what's made it great is because it has, unlike maybe the NFL, unlike Major League Baseball, it has really rallied around the players as that being the, the, the primary product and, and how the brand gets presented that I think goes beyond even the teams and the, and the league itself. Yeah, there's um, Myers Leonard from the NBA. Miami Heat was one that chose to stand. Um, there was also a player from the Magic that did as well. Um, some, you know, so, there's a list of them that's online that I'm actually looking at. Sam Coonrod from MLB, uh, Samantha Murphy from, um, I guess that's the the female uh, lacrosse league. There's oh, like okay. a whole yeah. smattering of them. NFL, uh, Stephen Tuitt. Uh, there's a number of them that I just I just looked it up, but um, and they have a variety of reasons for um, for choosing to stand, but um, you know, but I agree with you, I guess, on the whole that I don't think you put the genie back in the bottle on any of these things, and I think on some level the the, the rest of the leagues are either resisting that same conclusion or trying to formulate a strategy to to sort of get around it somehow. But I, I think, I think at this they point all have to formulate a strategy. Like that's yeah. really the bigger issue, right? Yeah, uh, because. And listen, I mean, this is like, whether you agree with the stance or not from the NBA, they are being the leaders. They are. And leaders mean like they're doing it first, right? Even when it came down to shut, shutting down. Sure. They the did game, it for the, coronavirus. The, yeah, the commissioner, mm-hmm. right? He was very quick. The second one player got sick and then the second one came out like right after was the first time. And that was sort of that domino effect as it relates to this and taking this level of social stance. The thing we have not seen yet, and once again, apologies because literally we're recording this as the news just broke, right? We're, we're walking in here about them actually decided that they are going to play They're the rest continue. of the playoffs. Which but we don't, yeah, but we don't know what that I, means I think we either, mentioned, right? I mean, we don't know what that means. Yeah. We don't know what they're, what they're including as part of that. What Correct. is the commitments from the ownership, from et cetera, right? So there's so much of that to, to talk about. But they are being the league that said, look, we're going to commit. We're on the side of the players. We're going to you know support them. The reality is, the majority, we talked about this thing before in the, in the podcast, is that when you look at the composition of who the players are, it's primarily African-American you know, players that are, that are part, part of the league. So... You know, giving a lot of support, I think, makes a lot of sense. But I do can see a scenario where it creates this dynamic that all of a sudden the league is just not for some people anymore, right? And the question for the NBA is, are they okay with that? Can they live with that, right? So, And by the way, when we say some people, because I think it's also important to sort of nuance and tease that out too, uh, and I'm not suggesting this is what you mean by it, but I think that even hearing that for some people, a lot of folks would say, oh, it's okay because who needs the racist anyway? you know, or something like that. I think when you say that people, I I think about a lot of the people, frankly, you know, we've talked about this before. I have a lot of my family because of the, uh, you know, I married into it, who is Bible Belt, Rust Belt kind of people. A lot of them, their position is really straightforward. It's like, I want to watch the basketball game. Yeah. Yeah. Like, 
it, they view it literally on the plane of entertainment. And so it's like, if I want to go to Disney World and I want to ride Space Mountain, but now to ride Space Mountain, I have to take a physical, then my thing is, I'm not saying physicals are bad. Right. I'm just saying I don't want to ride Space Mountain anymore because when I rode Space Mountain is because I wanted to ride Space Mountain. Now I well, have to buy the, all this packaging. And so, yeah. and so, and, and not a single one of them even comes close to being defined as somebody who would be racist, right? I'm, I'm speaking about my, my particular family. I don't know. Yeah, Within the group yeah, of people who don't like the NBA <laughs> yeah, now, yeah, I'm sure there that, are some sure. people who have racist motivations. Well, well yeah. yeah. My, so when, yeah. when I meet some people, I yes, obviously I'm not defining it very, at all. I'm, yeah. not, I'm just not well at all. I, I do think a couple of different buckets. One is, is exactly what you just described, right? People that really want to, that really have always seen sports as a way of escape, as a way of pure entertainment, that just don't want to have this massive, heavy issue so in your face in that moment they're trying to enjoy their team, right? You know, what's interesting about, about what the role that sports has played many times is the sports has been the unifier, right? Has been the reason to kind of bring us all back together to make us feel sure. better about the situation, yeah, right? of course. This happened after 9-11. This happened in the Boston bombing, right? Remember Boston Strong and all of that? So it's been many times, while well, it still had... And there wasn't necessarily a political issue, but what I mean is that it was a thing to sort of make us feel like things are back to normal. Well, when somebody hits the three-pointer for the win, you high-five the guy or gal next to you. You don't ask them like what, you know, what their right. political so, party so is. So I, I truly... It's a, truly I, it's a true uniter. Yeah, so I, I, could appre- I could honestly appreciate that. And I could appreciate those that really want the purity of the game for just being that, just a game, right? Part of what I said about the genies out of the bottle, you can't, is that, I'm sorry, but that... That is just not it anymore, at least not for the NBA. And then my argument is probably not going to be from pretty much all the other leagues. Now, interestingly, do you think that opens up another opportunity? I was thinking about Dwayne The Rock, you know, who just bought the XFL as an yeah. example. The XFLs, when they launched, w- you know, we, we obviously also, full disclosure, work with the XFL as well in its previous incarnation under the original ownership. But um, when the XFL originally launched, they pre-baked their position on some of this stuff. And as it related to kneeling for the anthem, they said, you are our employees and you can kneel anywhere you want. But as a team, when the anthem happens to to, to play, we're going to stand. You want to go outside and kneel. You want to use your platform to kneel. You want to do whatever you want. But when we're together, and like literally I read that and I was thinking, oh, they're trying to kind of pre-bake their way around this. And some of it may be geographical because they had very strong followings in, um, you know, St. Louis and Tampa and places like that. And then also a lot of very big urban areas too, New York and DC and all that stuff. But, but I, I thought about him today. I was like, okay, so how's Dwayne The Rock and his partner, Danny Garcia, yeah. right? How, who actually probably, I think Danny's now increasingly looking like she's the one who's going to be running yeah, things. Yeah, she's, she's the business side of the, of the but, conversation. But my point is like, what are they thinking vis-a-vis this, right? Well, because... It, yeah, and, and my yeah. question is specifically, does this create an opportunity? I get that they have to deal with the same question, but could you say like, okay, you know what, NBA, you're going to do this. That's fine. God bless you. And if you lose, you know, 40, 50 million fans, we're going to create a new league. Let's call it politics agnostic for whatever, just to, just to make the case right. because they see a business opportunity. opportunity to capture do you think that, those people? Do you think that there's that opportunity? Potentially. I mean, th- there is some of that. I, 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 I doubt it actually. I don't they're think big, I, right? Yeah. It's just a different product. By the way, it was interesting to me about that comment. I remember that when, you know, they were a client. But, we, but, but, we I don't, t- I, but I know XFL is a different product. What I'm talking about is with the NBA. Imagine like, you know, is there an opening if the NBA, you can't unring the bell. Let's say, let's play it out. NBA loses a good chunk of their viewership, whatever. They're like, you know what? doesn't matter. We're betting on the future. We're happy to be smaller, but we're going to be tighter in terms of our messaging. 
and somebody else comes in and says, hey, you know what? I want to create an, an XFL for the NBA. I want to create another kind of basketball sort of approach to this where I'm just going to be agnostic. I'm not going to take any position, but I'm going to let people just watch basketball. Yeah. So I, I'm just curious the, the about reason I, your thoughts. Yeah, so I say, the, I think the answer is clearly no. It's and not. the reason I okay. say that's clearly no, because at the end of the day, having the best players creates the best product, period. Right? Like you can change the rules. You can do all these things. You could take out the, the political element, but the NBA has the best players in the world, right? You see it every time we have Olympics and, and the team just goes, basically crushes everyone. So I think it's really hard to say that you're going to create another product that is better than the NBA simply by taking off, taking off a political element when you don't have the same players. Now, if you create a product that is more appealing to the players and you're able to pull out real stars out of it, then that's a whole different conversation. Well, let's imagine that it would be a combination of things, right? I mean, I think think it's a whole different conversation, right? The new NBA could have like, you know, the sort of foul rules that, you know, the three-on-three league has, right? Where it's like, we don't have free throws anymore because they're they're boring. Things like that. Evolution, I guess, in the game. Sure, you can say that. I I have a little bit of a hard time believing that that would happen, but um, because I don't think that the, I don't think that the driver of people wanting to have purity of the game sort of without politics is a big enough reason as to why they will choose a different product if it doesn't have the same level of quality of play. Yeah, that's, th- and that's maybe my, my own yeah, sort of no, assessment no. situation. I, 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 mean, I think you're right on the whole, but, but there's always, in my mind, room for a market leader and a, a, great, a great strong challenger. Well, yeah, and so I think- the XFL, yeah, so let's talk a little bit about the XFL, because I think yeah. the XFL is a great, great use case on this, right? So a, a couple of things. When you talked about having these rules pre-baked, to me, it's a reflection of, of two things. One is, is probably driven by the philosophy of ownership. Vince McMahon is someone that, you know, they run a pretty tight ship and is very top heavy in, t- in terms of how much the wrestlers themselves have any kind of say. I mean, there's been a sure, lot sure, of press sure. about that. There's been a lot of press so, about that. Say it again? No, there's been a lot of press about yeah, that. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So, so I think that is, you sort of, you take that philosophy applied to this new league, right? Where you can do it. I think part of the reason why you can't do that is because you are talking about players that have very little social clout that don't have the level of fame that we talk players that are really looking for their second chance or their first chance and never really got one. Right? Yeah, coming sure. Out, right. Coming, so, coming so school, et cetera. Players I that think, didn't get the NFL I, sort of opportunity or that got bounced out of the I, NFL. I think right? there's, so a, there's a number of reasons that I dynamic, think, I think helps um, to be able to create yeah. that kind of rules and be able to get, a, get away with it. It did get some pushback, but I think was sort of muted in the fact that it was still pretty small. What the XFL does create, though, and I think what it does show, this is the part that I loved about what they were doing, is I think they were very innovative about how they were approaching the game. And it does speak to the fact that there is a market need, a market want of having more NFL, more football, not NFL, more football throughout the year, just in the same way you do for soccer, right? Yeah. And, and they're able to fill that gap of, of all these months that are off that you really can't do with the NFL because simply it's just too brutal of a game. Players cannot play more than the games that they're and playing the right now. It's very, very hard. I think on the XFL, you're right that a lot of this is, you know, flows from the top, um, especially in an organization like that headed by, you know, a person like Vince McMahon. However, I think that it actually, the first step in that is not so much it's derivative of Vince McMahon or was derivative of him, but derivative of how they position the league to begin with. The league was positioned about for the love of football. That was the entire league's reason for being. So in a scenario where that is what you're doing, you're not talking about, you know, even athletes, right? Even cities right. or markets or yeah, yeah, yeah. you're literally going, it's because what you said, right? It's like people want more football. And so if you can have more football, like I'm going to show up there, right? So I think part of it was that part of it was events. 
But I think that the league was positioned, and who knows what this new incarnation will be. It seemed to be working. Maybe it might work even more now. I mean, this is really the interesting thing. And I'm not even saying for good reasons, but maybe uh, this is my question. That's why it's provocative, yeah. right? It's like, does it, it the a, polarization create I mean, more business opportunities? Because it could. That's the part where, you know, you don't know, right? I mean, there could be a situation. There's also, you know, this kind of over, overkill to some extent, right? Oversaturation of having to think about these really heavy things all the time, you know? Um I'll give you a really dumb example, right? So yesterday was National Pet Day. Okay, that is really dumb. Really dumb yeah. example, right? <laughs> Where is this going to go? And uh, a lot of people on, on social were putting pictures of their, of their pets and, and all that, right? And I thought about putting one, but I actually felt bad about even thinking about putting one because it, it, I was so emotionally vested in what was happening in the, in the NBA, just consuming content, reading, different points of view, watching the interviews, that it felt like such a trivial, non-important, dumb thing to even mention that I, I was struggling and even felt bad for even thinking about posting something. By the way, I also ended up putting a little, you know, picture of Esmond, which is, you know, a little dog. Um, but the fact that I felt so bad about it, it's also something wrong. Like, it's actually okay to feel like those places to escape, right? And I still was very active saying other things related to the NBA and, and what's happening now, but... I could see some scenario where you you have that you have just fatigue, right? Because it is such a heavy thing. Well, that's the downside of the of the the the, the theme we just described, right? Which is these fears of conversation and thinking were oftentimes in their own kind of realm, right? It's like if I was going to talk about politics, I would do it sort of with somebody else, oftentimes with people that agreed exactly with me, and it was one side of my conversation. Then I'd go down the hall and I'd talk in a different way to you know my business colleagues, and now those things are converging, and so one of the downsides is that fatigue that you're talking about because now the conversations about these heavier topics seem to be involved in all at, all aspects of our life and we've in a way kind of lost a little spaces to go and just be by ourselves or be quiet or, or unwind right. or whatever you want to call it right um, I mean we we just were looking at ASMR videos the other day which I had never even heard of these yeah. like what is it? Auto something immune? It, it, it's basically <laughs> no, no, somebody not. whispering yeah, into a yeah. microphone like this and making people like their yeah, neck, it's, the it's, back of their neck tingle. I mean, that was basically what this whole movement has been around for a number of years. But the more I've read about that, because I was fascinating by the subject after you you brought me up to speed on what it is. By the way, I have it. Autonomous sensory meridian response. Yeah, that. So ASMR. But yes. when I, the more I read about it, apparently it is this very kind of soothing thing. And, you know, you think about Bob Ross as, a, as, a, as an icon, right, the painter, and like, why the heck did this guy blow up? A big part of it, now that I think of this ASMR, maybe because he was very soothing to listen to. Like, I remember putting that the PBS stuff on and like falling asleep when I was like in high school to, to that stuff. But, you know, this ASMR thing is like this phenomenon of like, we're just going to give you this little bit of soothing right now. I see a big market for stuff like this because of the dynamic you just described. Well, yeah, you don't this, have those places to go and just unwind. It, 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 just, it, is, it is super interesting. It's like these places of escape, right, from an entertainment standpoint. The, the challenge that we have, though, is that even those that have been traditional places for escape have now become also pretty political, right? I mean, for we, sure. I, I don't recall now whether we ended up talking about this or not before, but Jimmy Fallon to me is a great example of that. Yeah. Right? He's a guy who... It who basically, you know, his brand has always been this funny, goofy, you know, even when yeah, he was like, a Yeah, like don't take things life, too seriously, that kind of thing. He was always kind of breaking character and kind of giggling and that's been him, who he is. And for a long time, as it relates to, you know, doing the late show, he, um, you know, um, 
he tried as much as he can to not talk about politics, to not get into some of the issues that, frankly, all the other late night shows were, were doing. And, and then there was a situation where he brought in Donald Trump uh, when he was the nominee, or I forgot, well, he was running for president. I'm not sure if he was a nominee yet. Um, and just made a, had a very light conversation with him where he like pulled his hair. Yeah, and people were hair. like, you humanized him and whatever. And yeah. And he got a lot of, a lot of heat for that. Now, that in response to that, he's definitely changed since then, has been a lot more adamant about actually talking about some of the social issues, political issues that are happening. So you can say, so on one hand, you can say maybe he was pressured by cancel culture, you could pressure by whatever to actually change his ways. Or the other thing you can say, maybe if you want to be a little bit more skeptical about the real reason, is the fact that he keeps on, on uh, losing ratings against Colbert. Right, and, and who that, is very political? Who actually talks about it? So you have sort of this but contrast there, but about, di- but but uh, yeah, but again, I think that there's very different, um, you know, ability that people have for different subject matter, right? Oh, it's I like, agree, but, but not I'm, not, I'm not talking about ability. Sorry, what, what I'm making the point is the the why change, right? You can say the why change for Jimmy Fallon was because he had this pressure, social pressure, to hey, like, why are you making? Why are you normalizing this person? Why aren't you taking more of a stance? Why aren't you addressing some of the issues that people care about in the political sphere? So that will be something where people have issue with him. And, and there was a lot of that. But if you really want to be skeptical, it's like, listen, dude, your, 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 your show is just not as good. What people really care about is they want to talk about these things that are more political. They want to hear about this. And yeah. of course, Colbert's natural ability to do that yeah, is he's, significantly he's much better more at cutting that. and kind of waiting. But ratings wise, in that in that grouping of late night, he's, the he's number one, like constantly. Yeah. Well, and Jimmy Fallon's number three constantly. And and apparently they've been, you know, the, they kind the, of battle that. He jumps between two and three with um um with um yeah, I'm forgetting two. Um, I say Jimmy Smith, but that's uh, that's some, somebody else. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> Jimmy Smith. Wow. Yeah, I don't know another Jimmy. It's, it's Jim something as well, right? Uh, yeah. So, but anyway, but but his yeah his ratings have been on like on a tumble for a while now. The whole category is also down. Look, all the TV yeah. is in a way kind of down and shifting Jimmy and all that Kimmel. for a long time. I'm sorry, Jimmy Kimmel. <laughs> that's who it is. It, it, was, um, it was another Jimmy. Too many Jimmys. But just so you know, I mean, the latest movement from what I've read is this whole like let Jimmy be Jimmy kind, let Jimmy Fallon be Jimmy Fallon kind of movement because it's like. What they've well, at this what point, they've, he's losing anyway, so might as well. What they created was something that the guy is not. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's like yeah, at yeah. some point, I, I, you know. I could I could see that. I could respect I, look, that. Look, I don't I, mean. I don't watch it. I did a little bit of research because you sent it to me earlier, and I started yeah. watching it. I just super unfunny. It's just not funny. Yeah, it's just not. Yeah, I just think he has a, just a level of humor that is just is yeah. It's a different thing. The other thing, thing. By the way, the other thing we didn't talk about um, is uh, the you know well we did talk about some brands, but. Um, you know any more about the the kind of idea of the of the brand position in amidst all of this kind of cancel culture discussion and whether you wait in whether you don't there's a number of examples obviously recent ones where this has happened um, with varying degrees of success or failure um, but it's a very real question right if you're in the brand world in the marketing world you again these fears have now come full circle you're out on social media people are going to comment on what you're doing they're going to have a point of view and an opinion. How much do you care? How little should you care? What do you do? I mean, these are all – it's got to be nerve-wracking to be a CMO just on the basis of that alone. Well, uh, yeah, and I think the bigger question yeah, so as, as we think about this is just how do these brands navigate, right, this sort of movement, this cancel culture? Not just cancel culture, but I think – I put it more as how do they navigate this um, momentum that has happened around everyone having to have a voice and a stance against for or against issues, Right. And to that point, 
I think there's a couple of things that brands need to think about. One is, you know, what are the issues that they feel they should have a voice around and rally? Whether and it, it could be because that's just what they, they think is the right moral thing to do, regardless of how their customer base, consumer base may actually think of it or think of them. Or second is the things that they feel they should support or not relative to who their consumers are, right? So from the th- examples that we talked about, maybe one of the best examples is, is probably uh, NASCAR, right? NASCAR's movement to say, we're, gonna, we're at a point now that we have to take a stance around just not having the Confederate flag being such an integral part of that fan experience, right? Now, my guess, and this is I don't know, so I, I, you know, I don't want to speculate too much, but that if you were to rank that in terms of the needs, the feedback from the consumers, especially those that attend events uh, for NASCAR events, it probably wouldn't come up really high from the fans that attend us saying, we don't want to see the Confederate flag in our, in our, in our venues. Meaning like, even for those that disagree, it's probably not at the top of their list of things that they want to have changed. But yeah, the NASCAR, you know, took a stance to say, hey, even if it upsets some of our core fan base, especially those that are in the in the venues, we think it's the right moral thing to do that at this point to take a stance, right? So that is a case of, of an example of a brand that's saying, we just feel it's the right thing to do regardless, right? So that's one. I think the second one, though, is... Um, that is extremely relevant is, is what does my, my consumer base believe in value and how do my values as a corporation align against that? And I think that's a place where brands need to be very aware of who their consumers actually are. If I'm running a female brand, but yet as a leader of that female brand, I have very positions that could be considered very anti-female rights. That's a problem. Like there's just no way around it. You could have those personal opinions. You could have the, the point of view. It's just going to be hard for you to run a female brand. We have female consumers when you have just the opposing view to what a big chunk of, of that consumer base actually believes in, right? And that's a place where we kind of touched a little bit on Goya, but I, I, I do find it interesting, and I, I kind of want to get a little bit of your, your thoughts on that. When you think of someone like Goya, who's creating products for the Latino community, and then comes out with very supportive comments uh, of President Trump, who... You know, he's controversial for a whole set of reasons, but especially within the Latino community has made a number of very controversial statements. You know, it's no surprise why all of a sudden there's an immediate response by people wanting to, air quotes, cancel Goya. But I, but I do think it's one of those cases where maybe it falls in the, in the latter of the two examples that I gave, which is uh, how do you, how do you uh, you know, how do you tie those two things together? Because as a CEO of Goya, you could feel very, supportive of some of the policies, pro-business policies that President Trump has, you know, has implemented, whether or not you agree with him in other areas, but knowing that by coming out so strongly for this president, you're in essence taking a stance that really does go against a a big chunk of who your consumers actually are. Yeah. So I think um, on that one, and we're going to, we're going to need to wrap up um, our episode here, but on that one, the context, the, the CEO, by the way, who was going to speak at the RNC convention and apparently got asked or is now no longer speaking. So I don't know if that's his decision or Trump's decision, but he was going to actually be a featured speaker, I think tonight, in fact. Um, his name is Robert uh, Unanue uh, or Unanu. I don't know how he pronounces his name, but uh, CEO of Goya Foods. And he had... Um, he had been at a signing of an executive order that was specifically called the White House Hispanic Prosperity Initiative. So the context, at least as I understand it, was a um, an executive order signed by President Trump 
um, promoting Hispanic prosperity. And there was, you know, there's obviously we're not going to read all the stuff that's in the executive action, but um, the context was in that, you know, in that particular context, this particular CEO saying that, you know, he was supportive of the administration and in terms of this kind of movement and. He made the later on like when the, all this erupted, made the claim that he had been at the White House before when Obama was there and met with Obama and had, you know, similar exchanges with him. So I think the context was, yes, business related, but also related specifically around the kind of Hispanic uh, initiative that Trump signed as an executive order. Um, and so, look, I think on that one, you know, the the idea of going to the sources and finding out exactly what. Um, what was in that, debating that on its merits, on the issues that were contained in there, I think are part of the, the, the thing that I would expect or hope that happens in a lot of those cases. But again, as you said earlier, I think as a CEO of a major company, when you get out there and knowing that we live in a kind of social media world and that things often become headlines and memes, you have to go in there with this consideration already in mind and you have to know that you know, vociferously supporting an administration, even if it's something good that people have such strong opinions about and negative ones is going to lead to some blowback. And you have to be prepared for that in some way, right? Yeah, um, I think it's the difference between you're sure it being able to attend a White House event, just like many other CEOs have come, come and gone for different initiatives, been there. I think for him specifically wasn't so much. But it's not that though, it Jesus. It's, it's not that. It's not that. A lot of CEOs have been, um, have met with President Trump, especially during the coronavirus stuff, and he r rallied the private sector to come, and they were doing press conferences, and they yeah, were all showing sure. up there. The problem is when people, the CEOs, say anything positive about it. That's, that's the what, issue. That's what I mean. It was, it right. was his comments, right? It's, it's, not, it's right. not his attending the, 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 the event. And, the, and, the, and you're right. It could be saying anything, but also the degree to what he, he talked about being such a blessing of having this president. And the reality is the president that is extremely controversial with this group, right? I mean, that's kind of what the part of the challenge that you have here is that it is a, a president, right, wrong, or otherwise, just has a lot of controversy around him, specifically with a core group that is your primary consumer base of your product. And and this is where the part where I, I don't feel too sorry for him and is, is, is this notion that if he thinks that he can have this personal opinion on, on items, on issues that where a big chunk of his consumers just disagree with, I'm sorry, but like you are the you are the company, whether you like to think of it as not. You do not right. get to take pause and say, no, 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 this is just for me. Don't worry about Goya. This is just me. I just happen to be the CEO of Goya. Like yeah, that's I, just yeah, again, it's just not, again, it's just again, not I, realistic. I think where where maybe we you know we kind of disagree on this one is the idea that what he said that was positive, this idea of a blessing, I'm looking at the quote right now. It was in his, the opening of his speech at the White House. He says, Good afternoon, Mr. President, good afternoon everyone. It's such an honor and such a blessing to be here in the greatest country in the world, the most prosperous country in the world, and we continue to grow. And then he goes on to talk about how his grandfather built the company and he goes on to talk about food banks and how they're giving money, you know, food and money to food banks and that, you know, thanks them, uh, thanks the president for this, this initiative and then kind of closes out. So the idea that that saying that it's a blessing to be here in the greatest country in the world is, is enough in this, you know, in the, in the climate that we're in to have the level of furor kind of happen around this particular issue to me is a little, is a little sad. And what it, and what it says is that, we're no longer like we're no longer interested in again going to the source, reading the information, understanding what's actually being proposed. But you have to like kind of commit to this point of view in such grand scale 
That means you can never say anything that has happened, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, prison reform, whether it's, you know, unemployment rates, whether it's this Hispanic initiative for to drive prosperity, which I'm a fan of because I'm Hispanic and I'd like to be prosperous, assuming that I agree with everything in it. Yeah, yeah. Like we can't say anything positive because yeah. – if we do, yeah, then it's like... Unfortunately, you're, you're a little bit at that stage. I think you also called yeah. him an incredible builder. I think that's also another area that, that people had issue with, right? But you're yeah, right. you may the, be right. The, the, yeah. the, the, the reality is making positive, that the kind full of positive thing. comments. Huh? I didn't read the full thing. I just yeah, read yeah, the opening, but, but you're probably right about yeah, the other. And, and yeah. sh- once again, is that enough? Calling someone an incredible builder, right? To all of a sudden... You want to, you're right. It may be the case, but this definitely falls squarely in the, in the case of... People want to vote with their wallet and understanding yeah. who your consumer base, is, who your consumer is. This is uh, to me sort of the the opposite end of Nike, of of Nike embracing Colin Kaepernick as a way to rally to get young people interested in the product. And while there was a lot of people that were very upset about it, the reality those people were upset were probably not core consumers of Nike to begin with. Yeah, hundred percent. So look, my my final thoughts on this are: I think the whole idea of cancel culture needs to be teased down, and we need to define our terms. I think the idea of voting with your wallet. The idea of telling a brand or a company how you feel by by either promoting them or advocating against them, buying their products or never buying their products, I think is 1,000% fair game. In fact, I think it's something we've been doing for quite a while. Maybe we need to do more of it. I think the idea of looking back in the past 10, 15 years, um, whether things are objectionable or not, and holding somebody accountable – um, for that and their entire life hang, hangs in the balance because of something they said I think is wrong. And the worst of all, I think, is when we take one tiny bit of information, construct an entire image around it, and then you know dox people and do different things and then find out that, in fact, we were wrong about that information because we jumped to conclusions too quick. I think those are the most egregious forms of this. So some of it cancel culture I can get behind, but most of it I don't think I can. I think as well said, Charlie, for me, I think I echo a lot of the comments that you made. And the reality is it is much more of a nuanced conversation than we'll probably give it credit for. It's unfortunately a result of the good and the bad that comes with social media, the good or the bad that comes with headline culture as well, what we're responding to. Um, I definitely appreciate and support the fact that you're seeing some of these athletes trying to make real change. And I love the fact when they say, listen, we don't know what the answers are. We don't even know what the, what the next step is, but we're going to try to find out and use our platform to help. And that, I think at least the spirit of that, even if they didn't get every single step right, I could definitely appreciate it. I could agree with that too. So great way to close out the episode. Thank you for listening. Thank you for commenting and sharing. Uh, we'll be with you uh, soon enough on the next episode of the Diversity Remix. If you enjoyed this episode of the Diversity Remix, please remember, first of all, to subscribe and help us to spread the word. Tell your friends, family, coworkers, and give us a five-star review. We're available on Apple and Google Podcasts, Spotify, and everywhere else you get your listening fix. And lastly, please remember to stop by blackbrown.us, the creator of this podcast, and take a look at our work and our approach at the intersection of diversity and business. The Diversity Remix is produced by Leo Gomez, with production services by Jose Manuel Durquidi and Luis Diego Carranza and our friends at Juan Diego Network. The Diversity Remix is a production of Black Brown. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, 
and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Is America's primary system working? Is the Electoral College still the best process for electing a president? Could a third-party candidate ever be successful? In a new season of You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen gather the country's top experts to explore these issues and more as we approach the 2024 presidential election. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available now wherever you get your podcasts.